0: There are those who are suspicious of consumerism and commercialism that will have us believe that holidays like Valentine's Day were invented by chocolatiers and florists. And that Father's Day is uh, Menards, Home Depot, and Lowe's making sure that power tools will flow freely once a year. But fathers, grandfathers, godfathers, they deserve our admiration for all the good they do for their families. So we're going to start off with a blessing. ...for all of them on this Father's Day morning. So if you fit one of those roles of fatherhood, a father, a grandfather, a godfather, a stepfather, a spiritual father... ...please stand and bow your heads. We're going to give you a blessing you very much deserve and probably really need. Lord, all-powerful God and Father, we ask your blessing upon all fathers and grandfathers and godfathers and stepfathers... ...living and deceased, especially the men here present and all the men of the Queen's Parish... As a loving Father, you gave us life. As a merciful Father, you gave us your Son, that we might have the promise of life eternal. We praise you, Lord, for the many sacrifices that our fathers have made for us. The long hours they work, the good example they give, the guidance and protection they provide. Until that day when we are all united together again in your kingdom, may fathers of families continue to be leaders in faith, helping us to meet the many challenges we face in life. May your fullest blessing come upon every father and every family in the world. May everything we do this day and always give you glory and honor and praise. And may Almighty God bless you, fathers, on this Father's Day. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's give them a round. They deserve it. Now we're going to do something a little different by special request. Let's see. Where is he? Oh, look at this. Andrew, you're not a father. May I borrow him for a few minutes? Let's see here. Oh, Andrew, what is today? My birthday. Your birthday? Yes. How old are you? Five. Five. You don't look a day over four. Yes. So at his brother's request, they have offered him up. We're going to sing a happy fifth birthday to Andrew just so he can turn even red as I am. Okay? Okay. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Andrew. Happy birthday to you. Let's hear it for him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to stay with your dad on Father's Day or stay with me? Me? Wait a minute. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Don't ask questions when you don't want the answer. Okay. Well, one thing for which we honor our fathers is they put a roof over the heads of their family and they put food on the table. God is our father. He's put a roof over our heads for 75 years. This roof has been over our heads, giving us protection from the stormy seas of this life. God, our father, puts food on the table but it's unlike any food we've ever tasted before. It's this table and it's his son, medicine for the sin-sick soul. That food that will strengthen us for the journey along the way of the cross that will bring us from this table to that table. God our Father loves us so much. That he gave his son not only on the cross but continues to give him to us on altars and tabernacles and monstrances anywhere and everywhere the Catholic faith is observed and the mass is celebrated in every country and every continent all throughout time. And he'll continue to do it until his son comes again in glory. The church sets aside this feast each year to remind us to remind us not of what it is that we receive when we come to the altar at Mass, who it is that we receive when we come to the altar at Mass. Last year in this feast, I spoke about the doubting priest, Father Peter in Prague, who was making his way in the year 1264 A.D. from... The Czech Republic to Rome to ask to be released from his priestly vows because he didn't believe any longer that bread and wine became the body and blood of Jesus. And how a Eucharistic miracle happened in his hands in the Italian village in Orvieto when the host bled. His doubts were taken away and the whole church was renewed with Eucharistic revival. We need that again because there are an increasing number of people who continue to doubt or refuse to believe what the church has believed of the Eucharist for 2,000 years But God's people had believed in the Eucharist long before the Last Supper. And for that, we look at today's first reading. When we see that from the dawn of time, God was already planning that his people would think and believe Eucharistically. Let's go to Genesis. Today we find ourselves with Abraham and Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14 shows Abraham halfway, halfway from Iraq to Israel. When he was 80 years old, the Lord told him, Abraham, gather everything you have and set out into the desert to a land I will show you. God didn't tell Abraham where that was, how long the journey would be, whether he'd ever be coming home again. But much like the apostles 2,000 years later, Abraham, without question, comment or delay, did exactly as God had instructed with his nephew Lot and Lot's wife, with his own wife Sarah, with all of their belongings and livestock, they set out never to be back that way again but by the 14th chapter of Genesis they've wandered into a desert storm it's not the sands of the desert in a cyclone its armies making war with each other and they have to pass right through the midst of them but there are five kings and their armies making war against four kings and their armies in the midst of all of this confusion Abraham's nephew lot is kidnapped and captured at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah at this point, Abraham has no children. God has made general promises that Abraham would become a father of many nations, but he has no kid to prove it. He ended up loving his nephew like his own son, and he cannot bear the thought that he'd have to continue this journey without Lot at his side. And That's why Abraham is willing to risk everything to get him back. Remember, there's thousands of people on the field of battle. Abraham has only 318 men and no weapons. But he has the Lord on his side, and so he goes out there to find his nephew. And because Abraham was with the Lord, the Lord was with Abraham, and with so few men and no weapons to defend themselves, they are victorious. Lot has returned to Abraham safe and sound, and he wants to offer a sacrifice to God in thanksgiving for this great gift of his nephew's safe return. Normally at that time to offer sacrifice to God you would build an altar, slaughter one of your livestock, cut it up, place it on that table and set it on fire. And as that meat was consumed God was receiving your praise. But Melchizedek has a different idea. He is also a king. He's not one of those who's making war. Instead Genesis tells us he's a king of shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. It also tells us he's a priest to the most high God. And what does he do? said, we're not going to have a burnt sacrifice today. Instead, Melchizedek, who is a priest to the Most High God and a king of peace, takes bread and wine and puts it on the altar, and he gives thanks to God using those simple earthly elements. And the Greek word for giving thanks is Eucharist. The very first book of the Bible, two millennia before the Last Supper, there's already a priest who is a king giving thanks to God using bread and wine. God training us to think and believe eucharistically but it continues in the next book as the Israelites ended up as slaves in Egypt and after 430 years of captivity there Moses is told go to Pharaoh and say let my people go the Bible only tells us that 600,000 men followed Moses across the Red Sea but they didn't come alone all the Hebrews came with them there's over a million people out there in the desert And there's no way without refrigeration or preservation that they would have been able to bring enough food for a week to feed all those people, let alone for four decades. They will either die or they will trust in God to provide for them. And he provides for them in abundance. Remember the quail and water from the rock? Well, there was also the bread from heaven that appeared each morning like the dew in the desert sand. And when they first saw it, they said in Hebrew, manna, what is that? what good is that for us? Their life came to depend on that daily bread. And daily bread, it became because they couldn't hoard it. They couldn't store it up for another day. They had to depend on the Lord every day to provide it. And God the Father who puts food on the table provided for his children, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for that entire journey of the better part of half a century. On their way to the promised land where he would continue to feed them with that land flowing with milk and honey, God once again training us to think and to believe in heavenly bread, to think and believe Eucharistically. But when we turn our attention to Jesus in the gospel with the feeding of the 5,000, we find ourselves in the ninth chapter of Luke, a chapter that is chock full of milestone moments in the ministry of Jesus. It begins with this feeding, but after that, Jesus sends out the 12, two by two in their first missionary journey. It's in that chapter where Jesus first predicts that he is going to die for sinners. But no sooner does he predict his passion to Peter, James, and John in the dark of night see a blinding bright light that is Jesus transfigured before them. He who is about to die, proving to them his story will not end in death, instead giving them a glimpse and a snapshot of the resurrection. His darkest hour will in fact become the hour of his great triumph. But let's rewind to the beginning of the chapter where Jesus with five loaves and two fish is going to feed thousands of people. Once again, the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit using human authors in patriarchal times. That's why they tend to only do a census of the men. Abraham has 318 men. Moses led 600,000 men into the desert. Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Well, they were never without their women and children. When it says Jesus fed 5,000 men, he fed at least 20,000 or more from five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. And he didn't just give them a little snack. It wasn't just a little crumb to tide them over until they could get something else. They all ate their fill and they still weren't finished because there were 12 baskets left over. That's Jesus who is God trying to train his people to think and believe eucharistically because he would become himself that true bread sent down from heaven that unlike their ancestors who ate the manna and still died, whoever eats his flesh and drinks his blood will have life forever, forever. Heavenly bread. That's the role of the priesthood what Father Bob and I are privileged to offer each and every day to bring people to God, but more importantly, to bring God to his people through his son and the most blessed sacrament of the altar. But too many people are reacting like the Israelites saying, manna, what is that? I don't believe it. That is why we have this feast of Corpus Christi. The Eucharist wasn't a once and done at the Last Supper. It was the first Eucharist at the Last Supper. Jesus said, and Paul quoted him two times in the second reading, do this in remembrance of me. He put us on mission that we were to go and feed his flock and to gather them into our arms, to bring them to the heavenly banquet. And that's where the 12 baskets left over come in. There's enough Eucharist to feed all of us, those who do come to church, but there's more left over for those who do not. For those who used to, who have stopped. For those who never have because they don't know or believe the good news because we never told it to them. The Eucharist is waiting for them as well. God is waiting for us to go and tell them about it. But you can't give what you don't have. If we don't have Eucharistic faith, we'll never bring anyone else to Eucharistic faith. That is why the Lord gives us this opportunity. This opportunity for each of us to come forward and to be presented with the question, the body of Christ, will you say amen? Or will you say, manna? Amen means, yes, I believe that is the body of Christ for my salvation. Manna means, what is that? Too many people believe that we come to church like a Civil War muster, where we put on costumes and remember something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But my friends, Christ is as really and truly present on this altar as he was on that cross 2,000 years ago. Whether you believe it or not doesn't make it true or not.